The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Jim, basically what we do is we help companies and organizations create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. What's crazy is that only about 10% of organizational of organizations actually accomplish two-thirds of their strategic objectives. And I don't know about you, but that is uh, not a very high bar. Would you agree with that, Jim? Yeah, I would say so. It's pretty poor. <laughs> but that's that's what the facts are. And, and so that's why organizations call on us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but with proven practices to actually help them execute it. Harvard research shows that when you focus on the right key performance indicators, you can actually triple your success. If you want to learn more, please contact us. You can email us at catch, like catching a ball, at 40strategy.com, or you can go to our website at 40strategy.com. And with that, uh, we before we transition over, we'd like to, I like to always have a shout out for each uh, part. And, and this shout out is, is for Justin Buell. Uh, he's a um, financial advisor at Wells Fargo. He's one of the top financial advisors in the world. You'll probably be hearing more about him over the next decade as he continues to grow what he's doing. I just want to say a big thank you how you've helped out uh, clients that I have. You've helped out uh, ourselves and um even even had were kind enough to have my son do a walk or walk about to actually see how you've been a top performer. So, I just, anyways, I just want to say thank you for that, Justin. And with that, we're going to introduce our desk, our uh, excuse me, our guest, uh, Jim Tulin. Jim is the founder and CEO of Oxford Oxford Hounds, a DTC men's luxury lifestyle company that employs proprietary technology and predictive anal- analytics to help the male luxury consumer shop for fashion apparel and accessories at significantly less than retail prices. Jim has more than 35 years experience in the men's fashion industry, serving as SVP director and principal of Swank Incorporated. Jim has also had the fortune to act as a direct liaison to some of the most notable global brands, including Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, Guess, Nautica, and others. Jim's experience has also afforded him the opportunity to have been a part of and privy to the inner workings of a NASDAQ-listed company, which has provided a significant depth of knowledge in numerous facets of the business, from sales and product development to supply chain and logistics, as well as 27 years of serving as a director, providing a deep understanding of the financial side of a large public corporation. And Jim, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Carl, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So for those who aren't familiar with Oxford Hounds, um, please share more about it. Tell us more about Oxford. What does it do? What do you, what are you planning to do? What's the vision behind this? Well, the vision behind this is I spent my entire life 
in a very large, uh, as you said, NASDAQ-listed company. We were a very moderate price seller of licensed powerhouse names to every major department store on the planet. And we sold our company after being in business for 115 years and decided it was the right time for a variety of reasons, which I will not bore everybody with. But it was a strategic move on our part to make the move. And fortunately, the timing could never have been better. So I spent about the last three and a half to four years doing a great deal of market research because, as I said, our former company was a very moderate price seller of product. But my real love, is high-end, high-quality fashion. And having spent my life dealing with a retailer, I saw an opportunity long before COVID or the demise of brick and mortar occurred to take our products, take whatever products developed and go directly to the consumer, as opposed to keeping your fingers crossed and hoping that someone walks into Macy's Herald Square in New York and falls upon our product, that's even if it's put out. So I took this vision that I've had God knows how many years of this high-end, high-quality men's apparel and accessories company and started to put pen to paper, to which the first thing that I did was recognize that I wanted all my goods made in Italy. So we also recognize that based on the type of product being very classic, that selling through a computer monitor, we needed to come up with something that was very engaging to the consumer and would separate us from what could be compared to a $14.99 men's dress shirt at Walmart and never being able to tell the difference between the two because we all know the impact of online reviews and that engagement is so powerful that there's got to be a reason for you to, to, to be different because if you're not different, you have no chance. So I've had a lot of experiences you mentioned in a lot of different areas and I started to put this whole thing together. I spent about five months writing a business plan that nobody ever read except me. And it really was quite easy to do. It took me about three weeks to do it. And the balance of the time was cleaning up my horrible typing and grammar. So, um, but it's a fabulous roadmap. And for any of you out there that are listening, that are thinking about starting a new company, the first thing you should do, A, never be discouraged and let anybody tell you otherwise that you can't do this because you can. And B, write out a game plan write out a roadmap, even if it's only for you. You'd be surprised how helpful it could be, even with someone with my degree of experience. So I started to put all of this together and found strategic partners in Italy to make my product that understood my values and my aspirations. And when raising capital, just to jump for a second, we always talk about, is it a good fit for the investor? Well, When getting into bed with someone to manufacture your lifelong vision, you better make sure it's a good fit for you as well. And lo and behold, here we are um, with my product being incredibly spectacular and unique and receiving accolades from the finest manufacturers in all of Italy who make for world-class brands like Gucci and Ferragamo and Todd's and Versace and all the names that you know who are telling me that my product is going to set the world on fire. And the best part of the equation is, is we're in a $750 billion vertical that's due to grow to a trillion dollars by 2025. And it's the fastest growing segment in all of e-commerce. And Carl, I'm exhausted from that 
<laughs> from telling you all of that stuff. My God, how the hell did I get to this point? Well, and 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 so that's that's incredible. So even since we've last chat, you you've had some sounds like you've had some early wins. But so give us some examples for the audience. What type of product are you referring to? You know, what what is an example? You talked about men's luxury good items. Give me an example of what that sounds like. What looks like. What is what does luxury mean? Luxury has a two-pronged effect. If we're talking about a specific customer segment profile, luxury could just be the logo that they that imparts to them that this is very expensive, very well received. It will impress all their friends. Luxury, and then there's luxury that is incredible care and quality in the manufacturing. Incredible quality in, in the manufacturing of the materials used, the manner in how it's constructed the passion behind the manufacturer who's making the goods, that this is not a 3,000 worker factory in wherever they may be. I won't even go into that. But rather, uh, a crew of 10 people that have been doing this for the last 90 years that love what they do, that to them, the execution of the product, the quality of the product, speaks not just about, gee, isn't this great looking, but rather it's a reflection upon them. So when we chose the manufacturers, I made it very clear, even though I didn't have to, but I made it very clear that I want their their love and passion in my product like I have. And if they can't put that into my product, they're the wrong fit, the wrong fit. So I was very careful who's manufacturing these goods because as a consumer, You, Carl, if you buy my product, it's a reflection of me, isn't it? So I want my goods to come off as if we did everything conceivable to create the greatest value proposition, which is a very much football concept that everybody uses to try to convince the consumer that they really care a lot when maybe they don't. But the product is the key ingredient because. It doesn't matter how much you spend on marketing. If your product sucks, you got a real problem. You're not going to sell it. That's a fact. Right. So products number one. So in like some specific, like what are what are like some specific examples? Are we talking about shirts? Are we talking about uh, suits? Are we talking about, you know, give me some specific. About, okay. We're like articles. About, we're talking about uh, polo shirts and casual shirts. And we're talking about um belts and wallets i'll give you a perfect example many years ago i was in a tannery in santa croce which is south of florence where there's about 400 tanneries uh that manufacture leather for every famous brand in the world in italy typically cities have their specialty in what they do so in como in the north of italy that's the silk capital of the world santa croce south of florence That's the leather capital of the world. So I would say 20 years ago, I'm in this factory. And at the time, Gucci was producing a leather called Master Calf, which was this magnificent, high-quality calf, but it had a very high sheen to it. Excuse me, almost looked like it was patent leather. It so happened that the day that I was there, the Gucci leather expert was there. And I watched him with what he did. 
when he was inspecting the leather. He had this white pen and he would take each hive, which was kind of big, and he's taking his white pen and he's circling various areas. Why? Well, think about leather. Where does it come from? It's a natural, God-given material. It has flaws. Think about the cows in the farmlands. They go up against a fence. They get tick marks. They get bite marks. There's imperfections. The difference between a typical leather belt, if it's leather anymore, Carl, at moderate prices, which it's not, it's usually man-made materials, but take a leather belt that let's say costs $45. They'll take this hide and they'll close one eye and they won't be circumspect about the parts that have damages to it and they'll use it and they'll hide it, the manufacturers. The example with Gucci is they're throwing out 80% of every hide. Wow. And only using the top 20%. Oxford Hounds, we're throwing out 80% of the average hide and using the finest full grain cow hides, calf skins, lamb skins, anywhere. Why? It's my mission. It's my love. And I have no middleman to share profits with. Mm. So I'm going to make sure that my competition. I'm going to blow them away with my quality. Hmm. And the same holds true with the quality of the materials that we use in our shirts. Not only the quality of the materials being such that they're so superior to the average shirt, all you got to do is feel it, pick it up hmm. and feel it. And we're going to help engage the consumer in our marketing strategy by sending out lookbooks with swatches of the materials so they can see and touch and feel because that's the litmus test. So our, our buckles in our belts are only manufactured from the finest material, which is solid brass, and not much less cheaper materials that many manufacturers, wholesalers use. But we're not selling belt buckles. We're selling jewelry that just so happens to be attached to a belt. Mm -hmm. And the amount of detail, it's so obvious that it's obvious. And the quality will just hammer the consumer over the head without us even having to say a word. Sounds compelling, doesn't it? No, it does. I, I love it. So, which le leads me to my next question. You obviously have massive passion and experience and depth, and, and you know what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to create this great quality product, but you made this comment about middle, you're getting rid of the middleman, which by definition should mean you have higher margins, right? To be able to be able to deliver at an affordable price. So at a more affordable price, I should say. Question is, is what is going to be, what do you, what do you see as your key go-to-market strategy? Because there's so many people out there in the world, right? There's so many things, there's so many distractions. How are people going to, what, what is your key go-to-market strategy to help um, get people to click on Oxford Hounds to buy one of your products? Hmm. So how do you rise above the noise, huh? Mm -hmm. I think that pretty pictures are one thing, but I think content has a significant impact when it's authentic. Mm -hmm. And my background is such that when you have a company that lasted 115 years, that ain't accidental. The average tenure of an employee at our former company was 32 and a half years. And when I tell that to people, they don't believe me. 
It's true. (laughs) It's true. The reason being is that we had a family business, but the family business was not relegated to only my father, my brother, and myself. It was relegated to everyone that worked for our company, all 1,500 of them. They all felt part of the process. So my background is so steeped in having it drilled into me, the value of the people that work with you, alongside of you, and the value of the consumer, because they're the ones that keep the lights turned on. So our motivating, driving force amongst everything is exceeding the customer's expectations, because if we do, they will love us for life. And having spent my life in that environment, I know how to do it. And that messaging and that processing and that engagement will be so strong from the input into the development of the product all the way to how a customer is treated when the black hits the fan and they are PO'd and I want to speak to someone in charge and so on and so forth. Our former company, when there was an issue, the customer is king. No questions asked. Long before it became in vogue. And when people really believe that, look what made Bonobas so significantly powerful. They're ninjas. The consumer loved the quality of service. It probably um, preempted the product that they were selling. But their customer service was so superior. It's like, Carl, there are massive companies like AT&T and you name it. And Capital One and Visa and American Express. To me, there's nobody even in the same league as American Express. Their customer service is so superior, it's not even close. Not even close. To all those out there, I apologize. AT&T, they don't have a clue how to do it right. And all they do is offend their consumers. Fortunately, It's a good thing that the United States banned monopolies years ago because Lord knows they don't have one. So that's clearly the messaging that they're sending. And that's not good, especially for a startup. So I hope that answered your question. Deep, but I, once again, I love the passion that you have, uh, Jim, behind what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, And and clearly that passion is what you're hoping at the end of the day is going to resonate to the customers and they're going to, it's going to come back to them, not only a great quality product, but great customer service that they're going to become. You're hoping it sounds like customers for life because they're just going to love what you do on a regular basis. Is that fair? Fair summary? hundred percent. Yeah. It's every founder's dream, but it takes a lot of skill and it comes from inside, Carl. You don't learn how to do this. You either feel it and it's natural and you've been exposed to it. But read all the content on LinkedIn. Everybody's saying the same tune. They all are. They really understand what it means. Passion, you can't buy it at Walmart. You just can't do that. You can't go to Target and go to the passion aisle. It's either in you or it's not. And as I tell my 26-year-old, who I'm going to send this recording to, and he's heard this a thousand times, you'll never be great. And anything, unless you have the passion for what you do. 
And that, I swear to God, is 100% the truth. Yep, I agree. So, of course, as we as we know, the title of of uh, this podcast is Measure Success. How are you going to measure success at Oxford House? Is there is there a data point? Is there how do you know that you've from a metric standpoint? How do you know that that's being met? Sometimes you can be over metric. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you look to things to tell you if you're doing well or not that are not as profound as something other. So how I'll know, I'll know. Stupid answer, right? But I'll tell you how I'll know. When I, when the customer tells us that they love what we do and they're proud to wear our garments or our belts and they love the way that they're treated when they call in, that will tell me. It has nothing to do with finances because if you're driven by the money, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you do a great job, you'll get the money. Mm-hmm. That'll take care of itself. Yeah. Founders that are driven by the money, that's a problem. I would say, be careful. But the customer, if I can exceed our customer's expectations, I did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, um, from a modern day metric that's used that it seems like would really matter to you, but you would want it to be authentic, not just faked, um, is the net promoter score. You, you may have heard of is kind of the, the quote unquote, the popular metric. And that's when you get asked, would you give us on a, a scale of one out of 10, a nine or 10? seven or eight or six or less. And you might even have somebody at a, a somewhere that say, please give us a nine or 10. Well, that by definition is the first start where things aren't going right, right? When you're being asked <laughs> to give a nine or 10, you know, people should live and breathe it. But what, what I love about that score is it is one of the few comparable net promoters because we're basically saying, would you be willing to refer somebody else to buy this product? And, and, and a nine or 10 is a raving fan. Seven or eight is a zero. You get zero points and one hour taking one point and you get uh, seven, six or less, you get actually negative one point. And, and the best companies in the world get about a 60 to 65. This is like the American Express, as you refer to. You know, the average company that's good, the average good company gets around a 20 to 25. Most companies are, are negative. And, and it's because ultimately they're, they, they buy it because they have to, but they're not buying because they love it. And, and, and that's, you know, there's organizations and companies that figure that out. It's funny, net promoter score is just reflecting who they already are. You know, it's just a great, but, but what it doesn't work is when, what, what I like to, what you said, Jim, is um, when it's not authentic, when it's not an authentic rating, when you have people saying you have to give me the score because I'm looking for a bonus or I'm trying to get our NPS score, right? That's ridiculous. Exactly. That's my point. It's ridiculous. So, it's so ridiculous. It, yeah, it is. It is. And so that's where sometimes, once again, metrics get missed. Right, we, we're measuring the wrong things and how we get there. So we're going to turn it over to the personal side because you shared a story with me when we had our first chat a while back, um, and and you're doing something that I want to do. Um, so I always find people who are uh, successful in their careers, not always, but almost always, find out that they are doing something on a personal aspect, on a professional, uh, sorry, on a 
whether it might be exercise or reading or um, running, who knows what it is. They're sleeping eight, you know, 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day. They've found some things they're doing in their life that has continued to give them energy so they can move forward. You recently completed something that I thought was pretty awesome. Um, not something that you typically see uh, at somebody with, with nearly 30 years experience in the workforce, maybe somebody who's a young person uh, in, in their ten, you know, teens and 20s. Tell us about what you recently accomplished and, and how, why did you take that path? Well, I assume that you're talking about my foray into the martial arts. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. Uh, I, um, I had knee surgery, I think it was in 1997, from playing too much tennis. And um, I needed to rehab it and stumbled across this gentleman who was teaching this young lady something that I didn't know what it was. So every day I would walk in for the rehabbing, I stumbled across, I walked past this room and there's this guy teaching this girl. And I came home one night and said to my wife, you know, I always, cause I used to travel frequently with one of the people that worked for our company. who was a former IBMer and he was a black belt in Taekwondo. And sometimes guys, wouldn't it be cool to be Bruce Lee? Okay. So my wife said, well, why don't you look into this? So one day I walked into this room and asked if I could watch. And he said, sure. And I don't know what he's doing. So came home, told my wife, she said, well, why don't you think about trying it? Carl, I'm not a trying it kind of guy. I'm an all the way kind of guy. I don't, I hadn't played golf in probably 35 years and got myself down to a one. Mm. I don't do things halfway. It's just my nature. It's like building a company. It's all the way or it's no way. So um, I started to go and watch him teach this young lady several days in a row and came home and said, this is interesting. I like to do this. So I asked him if I could join the class for a bit. And he said, sure. I had no clue about the inner workings of what this was, meaning there are belts to be earned. I didn't know. I was just going in block chop. Well, what do I know? So um, I started to really enjoy my time with him. And he was teaching me, I was training with him probably, let's say two or three days a week for an hour. So he's teaching me very simplistic things. And lo and behold, after about eight or nine months, he said, I'm going to invite the master to watch you test. And so what kind of test? I had no idea I was working towards the next level. So again, not making this a, a novel, the master comes up and I go through all the stuff that I was taught and they take my white belt off and put my yellow belt on. Huh. So I'm training at a health club near my office. And the master says to me, you're going to have to start training at the school. What school? So I didn't understand the affiliation between my teacher and the master with a school that's about 30 minutes away from where I live. So I start going down to the school. At the time that I was training with my teacher, 
I was training with him at that point, six days a week, twice a day, for what turned out to be almost eight years. Wow. And I was going down and training at the school three days a week on top of that. And the martial arts is a funny thing because there has to be a line between the owner of the school doing this to feed his family, but to maintain the integrity of the art. So there is what's called a belt factory where many schools will just keep advancing the students just to keep them engaged and get their money. Not so much, not my school. It took me seven and a half years, twice a day, six days a week to get my first degree black. And at the same time, I continued on that road and got my third degree black several years later, but I also trained in a different weapon style and got to third degree black in that as well. And the higher you go, the more you realize it's less about self-defense as it is about the internal draw that you get. And I'll end it by saying this, as our company is presently raising capital, and this is not a pitch, Carl, for please invest in Oxford Hounds. It happens to be the truth. If, if those of you that listen to this podcast, if you are so inspired, you can go on to our profile on the WeFunder crowdfunding platform and take a look at our lead investor. Our lead investor is the gentleman that trained me all the way through third degree black. He invested a significant amount of money. It took him five minutes. Why? Read his testimonial. Because he knows that my work ethic and the passion that I exhibited in those, what wound up being almost 15 years with him, oh. is going right into this company so there's no question in his mind as to our ability to be successful. And that's, so help me God, a true story. Wow. Wow. No, that's that's very inspiring, uh, Jim, for multiple reasons. I, I think, I don't know if I shared with you beforehand, but um, I I also have this vision of, of, I still, in the same way, want to have a black belt in Taekwondo someday. Um, the only belt I earned was the yellow belt at the University of Washington. Um, I was I was taking a class in it and I got to I was starting to train yellow belt and learned very quickly. I either have to be very dedicated to this or I need to get out. <laughs> and when I was sparring with uh, um, shadow sparring with the six foot four gentleman who put his foot up by my neck three times at about a two inch uh, distance. And I was like, I, I better get out now or really get in. <laughs> so I got out personally. But what's interesting is um, after I run, uh, finish a couple of marathons coming up, I want to re-engage in this. And there is um, something I'm going to do another shout out for is John De La Tour. Uh, I went to school with him in University of Washington. He's now a, uh, I might not get the correct um, title, but a colonel uh, or lieutenant colonel in the Marines. And he taught actually martial arts in, in the Marines. And uh, he actually would teach us in the fraternity self-defense and, and Taekwondo. So anyways, I just love this personal story and how it also reflects your passion behind what you do, because it's, it's, it's not just body, but it's mind, right? And spirit all have been put together and the amount of dedication that you put into it, extraordinary and that your master ended up investing in you and the company says, 
uh, can't, can't say enough about that. So both, both of them did. Wow. Both the master and my, and my teacher, I, I'll leave you with this thought. In our school, I asked the master, how many students have you had in your 30 years of being in business? He said he's probably had between 25 and 30,000 students walk through his door. Wow. 14 got to black. No way. 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 14. 14 only. Because the amount of dedication and perseverance required, it's hard, Carl. And there is a moral obligation. And why many of the schools need to be careful. When you start elevating your students before they really are ready to be elevated, you are empowering them falsely. And that can lead to being a real problem. A wow. real problem. Wow. That's true. 14 got to black out of 30,000, of which I was one of them. That is unbelievable. That is a less than one half of 1% if I'm doing the math right here. Um, and and I think it's even less than that. That That is uh, unbelievable. I, I and and but I am true. I, I let's see about 15 years. We'll, we'll have a conversation again and we'll see if I if I get there. I said I don't plan to start for a few years. Got to run a couple of marathons in between. This has been inspiring, Jim. Um, hearing about your story. One of the questions I ask all my guests, um, what book would you recommend to others? I can't remember the title, but I read a book a number of years ago concurrently with um, just my involvement in the arts. And something, I can't remember if it was called The Journey or the martial arts is a very deeply inspiring, thought-provoking art. It's an art. And it teaches you far more about the inside than the outside. Because if you ask any true martial artist, what would happen if you ha- you were confronted? Well, I will tell you, Carl, that if it was me, the first thing I'm going to do is look to pick up a weapon. Now, Jim, you trained all these years to be able to defend yourself with just, you know, free hands. Right. Given an opportunity, if there was a newspaper handy, I would pick it up and I would hurt you with it. So I'm looking for a weapon. So the point is, is that if you have one eye on the destination where you're going, you have a problem because you'll never enjoy the journey. And this book talked deeply about the mental profoundness of what you gain from the arts and how it helps you in every aspect of your life. And I'll end it by saying this. My teacher that took me from yellow to third degree black, when I met him, he was a personal trainer. He is a massively successful mortgage banker with an income that would blow your mind. Why? Because it's 100% a result of his dedication to the arts and everything that he learned from it, from integrity to you name it, but it's true. So this book really opened me up along the way about the benefit of looking inside and having the right values and morals and doing things the right way 
and then you never have to look over your shoulder. Right. I can't remember the name of the book. Well, Jim, I, for, for, for those who uh, might be listening, um, I do. A, I will follow up with the book recommendations. I put that on LinkedIn. So you make sure you send an email to me of that title. Um, send it to me or text it to me. And uh, I will make sure I the listeners can actually get an opportunity to read that because I think uh, I, I actually look forward to the opportunity to read that as well. Jim, how can people learn more about Oxford Hounds? Well, it depends upon their level of interest. <laughs> I'm happy to give you my telephone number and my email address, and they can either call me or email me. My email address is jim at oxfordhounds.com. Pretty simple. And um, I'm open to that. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Lots of times I'm on the phone and goes into voicemail and they'll get frustrated and so on and so forth. But I answer everything. And they can look at what we're doing right now. As, as I said, we are raising capital and this is not a plug, but it gives you a very detailed background of the company, product, yada, yada, yada. And that can be found at uh, www.wefunder.com forward slash Oxford Hounds. So, um, but I would welcome people reaching out to me. I love talking about our business. It's my life. It's what I do. And I'm here. As, uh, Jim, this has been very inspirational. Very excited for you and in, in, in this current uh, growth for Oxford and just your previous history as well. Um, Jim, just thank you so much for being on the Measure Success podcast. Carl, my pleasure. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks yeah. for having me. Absolutely. And to the audience, we just always like to thank you to, uh, for listening and wishing you all the very best at measuring success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.